Hello, this is Anthony Molinaro from the Rockstar team, filling in for Tom and Nick on this podcast. And Tom and Nick aren't going anywhere anytime soon, but I'll likely be hosting some more of these podcasts going forward. And so my promise to you, the Your Life, Your Term show listener, is to do my very best to bring you great conversations just like they do that you can hopefully extract some valuable lessons from. So I'm very excited and grateful for the opportunity to host some of these podcasts and learn and grow along with you. If I had to guess, if you're listening to the show, you're likely searching for lessons on how to live life on your own terms. That's why I joined the Rockstar membership when I was 23 years old with the mission to live life on my own terms. At the time, I didn't have connections, I didn't have money, and I didn't have any assets, but I knew I needed to get close to all three of these things to have any hope of a shot of building some financial freedom. So that's why I joined Rockstar, and now four years later, I'm very grateful that I did. If you want to learn more about the Rockstar membership and how Rockstar members are using real estate to live life on their own terms, we have a free real estate investing class coming up being taught by Tom and Nick. It's free to attend, and I guarantee you'll walk away having learned something new about investing in Southern Ontario real estate, even if you're an experienced investor. You can register at canadianrealestatetraining.com. I attended the same free class at Rockstar four years ago and it became the launching pad for my own real estate investing journey. So go to canadianrealestatetraining.com to register. I promise you won't regret it. Today's guest on the show is Adam Carroll. Adam has published four books, produced an award-winning documentary on student loan debt, has a TED Talk with over 6 million views, and helps people achieve financial freedom in their lives. Adams pioneered what he calls the shred method, which is a fascinating process to accelerate debt pay down and gain financial freedom using HELOCs, that's home equity lines of credit, and life insurance policies, which we talk about in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, so I am live with Adam Carroll, and um, it's our first time meeting Adam. Uh, It seems like he's up to a lot of stuff. He's got a TED Talk with over 6 million views. Um, on monopoly and uh, how kids are, um, how kids view money really in today's age of of abstract money forms, and it's a really interesting TED talk. I recommend uh, people search it up. We'll put it in the we'll put all of Adam's stuff in the podcast show notes. But the, he's got this TED talk. Then he's got this documentary on student loan debt. I think it's called "Broke, Busted, and Disgusted." Right, Adam? That is correct. Okay. And then you've got, looks like four books on your website, a podcast, all these speaking engagements. So it seems like you're up to a lot of stuff and I'm trying to still put my thumb on what it is that you do and, and your message and stuff, but, uh, it seems interesting. So why don't you tell us the Adam Carroll story and what it is that you do? Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Anthony, and being here, uh, is, is super awesome. Just hearing the rockstar brokerage story and what you're doing for real estate investors is super inspirational for me. Um, I, I kind of liken what I do to what you guys have done in terms of creating passive income. And I would consider myself a bit of a mediapreneur. So I really like the idea of, of uh, I heard this one time from a speaker who said, the goal is not to go to work and get paid. The goal is to go to work and then get paid, 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 get paid over mm-hmm. and over again. And hence the the documentary project, it was kind of like, Oh, this is a cool idea. Let's try this. Let's build something that, um, you know, today still provides mailbox money for for my family and I. Um, we sold we sold the the licensing rights to the documentary to CNBC in 2017. We sold it to a financial firm in 2018. So it was like this product that we had that we could just keep, 
you know, redeploying, re-leveraging and, and make more money on. Not too dissimilar from renting a property and just owning a piece of property that you continually rent out. Um, you know, the TED Talk and all the speaking gigs, that really is my my first and, and primary love is going out and sharing stories with people and educating. And a lot of folks will ask, well, why do you do what you do? The main reason is just because I love to see the the aha look on people's faces and um, to have folks come up afterwards. And I'm sure you do this at trainings where they come up and say, my life will never be the same now that I know this information. And yeah. um, so I've, I've just, I've made a career out of creating content, deploying content and teaching people how to live a bigger life. Okay. And then what's your background career wise? You grew up in the States. So why don't you just get into that quickly? Give us the quick yes. rundown. So I, um, I had no idea what I wanted to do going to school. Uh, so I went to university. I was a broadcasting major, which I guess is somewhat fitting today. I'm in a, my home studio with a mic and a green screen behind me. Um, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I really liked sales and marketing. And so throughout my twenties, which I've always referred to as the turbulent twenties for people. Um, you go through your turbulent twenties where you just try all sorts of different jobs and see what doesn't work for you. And I sold radio advertising. I sold direct mail advertising. I sold custom made suits and shirts and sport coats to upper level executives. And deep down, everything that I kept getting pulled back to was public speaking. Um, and it sort of centered around the habit that I had about listening to tapes and CDs in my car. And I would listen to, as I was driving around selling and marketing to people, um, I was listening to Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, Les Brown, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins. And Mark Victor Hansen said on one of his audios that public speaking is one of the most noble professions because you can change people's lives. <clears throat> you get to travel the world and you get to make good money. And to me, that was like the trifecta. Why would I not want to do all three of those things? And so I called a buddy of mine and I said, hey, I think this business isn't for me. I think I really want to be speaking professionally. And he said, well, uh, you know, this gal that we used to work with, she works for a division of monster.com, which was a job search company way back when, and they hire people to go out and speak on high school and college campuses. You should get a job there. Hmm. And so through the network, I reached out, sent in a, a tape as an audition, and they invited me to Cincinnati, Ohio, where I auditioned and got, got a job essentially as a professional speaker, being on the road for that, that company. And Candidly, from that point forward, I was hooked. I knew this is what I was going to do. Okay. And then how did you get into the financial stuff? Because that seems to be your main message and what you love to help people with today. Yeah, great question. So when I graduated from college, I was a debt statistic. You know, I had 30 grand plus in student loans. I had $8,000 in credit card debt, upside down on my car. I mean, it was all just, I was not prepared for the real world. And um, happened to meet a woman my senior year in college who said, Adam, you got to get rid of your dad or I'm going to get rid of you. And um, so that's I, a, I- That's a good motivator. It was a good motivator. And she was one of the smartest women I'd ever met. Uh, she's been my wife for 22 years and we oh. built a really amazing life together. You got rid of the debt. I got rid of the debt. Um, and it was in the process of getting rid of the debt that- I got really intrigued with personal finance. I read probably 120 books on the topic in a couple of years, just consumed it. I mean, it just became like so enamored with all, all the aspects of it. And at some point I heard this quote that if you read seven books on any topic, 
you are considered an expert in that topic. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, well, I've read 120 books on personal finance in the last couple of years. I should just go talk about this. And it came about that um, I had, I'd been kicking around this idea of, you know, how do we ever win the game of money? How do we win the money game if we don't know how to play by the rules? And as a high school and college kid, no one teaches you the rules. They just say, well, go to school, get a good, get a good, get a degree, get a good job. And eventually you'll make things work. And nowhere in there did they say, you're going to borrow tens of thousands of dollars to go to, to go to school. You're probably going to struggle financially for the first 10 or 15 years of your life, unless you do things differently. Um, they didn't give little tidbits along the way of how to, how to win the game. And it was at that point, honestly, uh, that I took all those ideas, Anthony, I said, I'm going to go build a program called the money game. And we're going to teach this on college campuses all across the country. Wow. And so what did that game consist of? You know, ultimately the, the rules of the game were the most important and the rules of the game were things like, it's not how much you make, it's how much of what you make you keep that will help you win the game. It was all about habits. So the right habits will help you win the game. So it was ongoing savings, ongoing investing, um, understanding needs and wants and how not to needify what it is you want. So we'll hear people all the time say, oh, I need the new iPhone or I need that new car. Or, I need the purse or shoes or insert whatever you need. And it's really needifying what we want because we're just hypnotized by society to spend money. Why um, do you think that is, Adam? After all your experience teaching this, these behavioral methods, why do you think it is that we're we're driven by that? Uh, driven by society to spend? Yeah, consumerism. I think that, well, the easiest answer is social media. Um, you know, we're constantly bombarded with what success looks like. And if you're if you're an Instagrammer, and you're successful on Instagram, what you're sharing are typically affluent type experiences. Mm -hmm. And so when we see that, people think, oh, that's the life I want to live. I want to, I want to drive that car. I want to eat at that restaurant. I need to be at this resort because this per my favorite person goes to this resort all the time. And so some of it is just keeping up with the Joneses and and the influence of of wanting to become whatever it is you see. Um, and I heard on on a podcast yesterday. This gentleman was was basically explaining people want to have things. They want to have the car. They want to have rental properties, et cetera. You have to do certain things in order to have those, but it's really about who you're becoming, right? On the on the backside of it that is most important. And I think consumerism stays in have. Well, I have all these things, so I'm successful. And it doesn't necessarily make you successful. It might make you broke and strapped and stuck in a dead end job for a very long time. So what is your idea of success after, after all this? It, to answer that question, I would have to go into what my values are because I think a truly successful person is living according to their highest life values on a day by day basis. And, and, you know, balance the balance of those values may shift from time to time. But my five core values are family, freedom, love, growth, and connection. And so family is pretty easy. I want to spend as much time with my family as humanly possible. I want to have fun with them. I want to create memorable experiences for them. Um, freedom for me is really high on the list. So, you know, if you're, if you're going to ask me point blank, what is success? I would say I get to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, whenever I want. And I've built an environment where I pretty much get to do that. Not a day goes by that 
that there are things where I go, oh, I have to go do this. Most of it is I get to do this. I choose to do this. These are fun things. Um, like sitting here with you is, this is Yeah, awesome. this, is, this isn't work. This, this is, for work. me, this isn't work. I'm like, oh, yeah. great. I get to tap into this guy's brain. I get totally. to extract all this knowledge and wisdom from someone who's read 120 personal finance books, traveled the world speaking. Like for yeah. me, this is great. I yeah, hope the same exactly. is for you. I don't know if it you're going to get the same for me. No, but totally. It's totally. fun. I mean, yeah, I've had some worse jobs than this, man. Totally, totally. Um, so that's freedom. Uh, love, growth, and connection for me are just my three you know, next highest, which love is I want to show up every day in a loving way. Um, I want my family to know what love looks like, my friends. you know, I'm, I'm a person who's not bashful or ashamed to say I love you to my my guy friends. Uh, to my parents, to my my kids, um, and then growth and connection are are two that they're high on my list in terms of being in the top five. And on a weekly basis, like I know I'm growing when I'm listening to podcasts, or I'm absorbing a new course, or I'm going to experience something new. For me, that's growth. And then connection is this: like it's eyeball to eyeball with someone. I would prefer to be in person. I'd love to fly to your office and hang out and do this interview in person. Yeah. Um, but but connection for me is really about how connected am I to other people throughout the week? And it was really hard during 2020, you know, in in, in the heart of COVID, because I just didn't feel like I had connection. You yeah. know, I was around my family, but everyone was kind of like in their corners doing their thing. And we had family time, but it was like, man, we're kind of tired of each other. Candidly. <laughs> forced family time, forced. Forced family time. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So you've achieved, um, and, and it exudes from you, you having these values kind of so down pat and to be able to articulate it so much. You can tell this is something you've, you know, really consciously thought about. Um, yeah. So you've achieved this freedom through your life. A large part of that is finances. So how did you achieve this, you know, your life, your terms, which is what we're all about, right? Yes. You know, we largely use real estate investing to, to help us achieve that. How did you achieve that? Well, it goes back to, you know, what I mentioned at the very outset, which was I'm, I'm a mediapreneur. I've created content and sold content. And I would be remiss if I didn't say there were a couple of books along the way that really turbocharged me getting to where I am today. Um, and one was the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. And it was, there was one, actually two things in that book that really just hit me upside the head when I read them. And the first was that, um, that the goal actually should be to make more per hour in the hours that we work. Right. So if, you know, I think four hours is, is a stretch, anyone working four hours a week, you know, you've, you've either become an automation machine um, or you have a business that lends itself well to that. But for me, what I kept asking myself, the question was, how do I make more money per hour than most people make in a month? And, and I truly believe that the bigger the questions we ask ourselves, the more we engage our subconscious mind to create a solution. And so the question that I was asking was, how do I make more money in an hour than most people make in a month? And the answer was very simple. Get really, really good at my craft become so good at professional speaking that I could go out and I could deliver a talk and charge, you know, at the beginning it was a thousand or $1,500, $2,500. And today, you know, it's not uncommon to book five grand, 7,500, 12, five, $15,000 gigs. And I pinch myself sometimes because it's, it's an hour of my day. Um, now I make travel. So there may be a day and a half in there, but even travel for me doesn't really feel like work. I get to 
read and it's growth and connection all the while I'm doing it. Sometimes I bring my family with me. So there's family involved. Um, so I feel like I've built that life for me. So the whole your life, your terms, that is, that is the life that I chose to, to lead and to pursue and to build. And the terms for me are that I get to turn down gigs all the time because I don't really need, and I don't, I don't say this to boast or brag or be a big shot. Hopefully your investors wouldn't either. You don't need the money. Mm -hmm. It's just like, yeah, you, you've built a life now that, that almost funds itself. Um, but you get to do things that add value to the world and you get paid to do them. And it's pretty awesome because it's, you know, those checks are all gravy. Um, so, so number one, four hour work week, number two, uh, what my wife and I did, and this may be a little contrarian to maybe what even some of your investors will do, who I would guess there's a lot of leverage in real estate investing. And we chose to deleverage nearly everything in our life until we had enough equity and, and uh, assets and cash flow coming in that we were like, okay, now let's deploy, let's let's create uh, some assets and leverage to create those assets. But let's make sure that those assets that we're buying are covering all of our monthly expenses. So like as an example, live free should be everyone's motto. And what I mean by that is your mortgage payment or rent payment should be covered by some investment that's making enough money to cover your rent payment. And when you live free, the rest of it is, is pretty easy. And when you have no car loan, student loan, credit card debt, um, then everything you make is almost yours to keep, you know, with the exception of taxes. So, yeah, there's there's something to be said just about getting off that debt treadmill. Because, you know, when you have debt, you're just constantly on this treadmill, working to pay it down, yeah. working to pay it down. And um, a lot of investors we work with, you know, they'll jump into real estate investing by leveraging um their, you know, their existing primary residence often yeah. to start it, you know, get into investing and stuff. Sure. And a large part of that too is just the real estate in our area of Southern Ontario is so expensive. Yep. And especially yep. for young people, it's it's almost impossible to save up down payments. Right. Um, you know, first time home buyers, you know, can put five percent down. So that's an it, that's a way to get in. But then to buy rental properties through your own savings and stuff can be very difficult. So a lot of people Definitely. will use leverage, but I think and it's it's what I did to get into real estate investing. And it's worked out for me because I've used it intelligently and been able to pay down that leverage through yeah. cash flow and stuff like that. Nice. But at the same time, I know that it's debt and it's these are obligations. If my tenants stop paying, you know, I'm on the hook for that debt at the end of the day. Yeah. And so I think, you know, at least my goal as a real estate investor is to eventually have these properties fully paid off. Right. Yeah. And then then it's creating those streams of cash flow. So how did you um buy these assets to then pay down your all your debts, your mortgage debt, your car debts. How did you like what what were the tactics you actually used to accomplish this? Yeah. First of all, I love going into this topic because I know you're all you guys are all about mindset. And yeah. and this this really is a mindset shift. And it goes back to the idea you you mentioned it, but getting off the debt treadmill. Mm -hmm. The debt treadmill that most people are on is because what they've done is they've borrowed from their future self. So we borrow to, to buy a car. We borrow to pay for school. We borrow to buy, in some cases, dinner. You know what I mean? When some people go out and they put, I get a nice steak dinner and take a bunch of friends out. And we spend 250, 300 bucks on, on a nice meal, a couple bottles of wine. But if it goes on a credit card and we don't pay that card off, we're borrowing from future me, from future you, right? Mm -hmm. And, and what occurred to me 
in the process of, of really figuring out personal finance, reading those 120 books, one of the things that, that became really clear is that there are two major expenses that we have in life. And one is taxes. And the other is the interest expense on debt. So if you think about the two greatest expenses anyone has in life, the taxes that you pay, income tax, gas tax, property tax, all of those things added up become a massive, massive, you know, call it drain or weight or anchor on your wealth producing ability. And the second one, which most people just disregard entirely is the interest expense on debt. Mm -hmm. And so with our clients, and I'll get to our method here real quick, Anthony, but it's, I know this is a roundabout way. But, but what our clients will often do is we'll look at them and say, okay, let's look at how much do you make? How much do you make minus taxes? Now, how much do you actually keep? How much are you taking home that is yours? Not that's the banks or the lenders, but how much is yours? And a prime example is a, a client of ours makes $120,000 a year, was very excited about this raise he'd just gotten. And we said, yeah, cool. Good for you. This is awesome. Um, they were a brand new client to the shred method. And when we started going through their numbers, I said, so I'm going to assume you're probably in about a 30% tax bracket, which means 36 grand comes off the top right away, leaving my math is right. $84,000, right. For the person to take home, which is not an insignificant amount of money. It's pretty good. But then when we added up mortgage interest, car interest, student loan interest, and credit card interest, it was almost $40,000 in interest a year that wow. was being paid. So, you know, someone who makes 120 grand really is only making about $44,000 a year that is theirs to keep and live on. And for most people, it's not enough to build real wealth because that, that goes to groceries and gas and, you know, all the necessities. And so for my wife and I, this was the strategy we used and how we got there. We realized that the number one thing we had to do to minimize the interest expense on debt, you either had to lower the interest rate or you had to lower the balance. And if you lower the balance to zero, you're not paying any, any interest. So the first thing we did was we said, we're going to live life with no debt payments, no, no student loans, no car payments, no credit cards. And the mindset shift is that most people will believe, well, I'll always have a car payment or I'll always have a mortgage payment. Why, why would you not? And we started questioning that. Why, why would we, when it costs as much as it does? So when I was introduced to Shred and we started leveraging it, we blasted away a $250,000 mortgage in 3.7 years, took it all the way down to zero. Wow. And it was not on crazy income, you know, du double dual income, but not crazy. And, um, and we're a family of five, you know, so we have kids expenses and daycare and all that stuff at the time. And um, we lived for about nine or 10 months, Anthony, with no mortgage payment. And then I, I was, as, as the, what was happening in the economy basically was interest rates were going down and it got down to like 2.75, 2875 on a 30 year fixed note. And I was like, well, this is dumb. Let's just refinance and pull out $200,000. And to so do what we, with? we put it in a syndication into a real estate syndication. And the intention was to live free so that if we were to borrow money against the property, $200,000 at 2.875, the payment ended up being like $810 a month. No, no taxes and insurance. We didn't escrow at all. Um, but the money we were making from the syndication ended up being roughly 1200 bucks a month. 
And so, you know, it, it more than covered the mortgage payment. And in the, in the meantime, we were shredding that mortgage, which we paid off in about 2.5 years, the 200,000. And so you get to a point where you're like, holy cow, I just have to wash, rinse and repeat. Just keep doing this over and over again. Because the 200,000 from the syndication in two or three years time will probably end up being 350 or four when it's paid out. And now we've got even more to leverage into the next deal and the next deal and the next deal. So, you know, I'm sure lots of people have heard of the, the snowball. We effectively did that, but we did it kind of on steroids. And what do you mean by the snowball? Sorry. The, the debt snowball, uh, yeah. which, you know, a lot of people are familiar with where you go after the lowest debt first yeah, and then whatever payment you are making on that debt, you roll it up to the next highest balance and the next highest balance, the next highest balance. The slight modification was that our income, it wasn't just our income that was, that was blasting away that debt. We were pumping our income into a home equity line of credit and using that as our checking account. So are you familiar with HELOCs? Or do you have them have those in Canada? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So the the HELOC effectively is like a two-way street. Money comes in, money comes out. And you have the added benefit that there's typically a, an amount that you have available to you as a limit. So it could be it could be five grand, it could be 10 grand, it could be a hundred grand that you have available to you. And so through the shred method, what you're doing is you're you're in a very technical term you're creating interest rate arbitrage because we're paying off high balance, could be low interest, but high balance debt that has a very high interest attached to it. And we're paying it off in, in lump sums from the HELOC, but we're only borrowing from the HELOC in very short term intervals, like days. And so the amount of interest you pay on the, the HELOC might be negligible. It might be five to $15 but the amount of money you save on the back end of that mortgage might be thousands of dollars for every lump sum payment that you're making against that mortgage. So, so any extra income goes into the HELOC. That's right. And then you borrow from the HELOC to then pay down the mortgage. That's exactly right. Okay. And then, so is that assuming that the HELOC is a lower interest rate than the mortgage? It's a very good question. One would think that it would have to be lower, but it actually yeah. doesn't. You could have a nine or a 10% HELOC rate and a 3% or 4% mortgage rate, and you will still save far more money by deploying small bursts of that HELOC against your long-term amortized mortgage. Okay. So why not put the money into like a regular checking account and then just use the checking account? I know there's a method to this, to your madness yeah. here. So yeah, just explain why would you put it in the HELOC? Yeah, because effectively what you're doing is if in, in raw numbers, if you're making $5,000 a month, what you may be doing is actually sending $6,000 or more to the mortgage every single month. And what we're doing is we're playing on the cycle of your income coming in through the HELOC. And in effect, what we're doing is we're using the bank's money against the bank, right? I mean, bank, banks do this exact model, but they do it in reverse. You put money in the bank they pay you a pittance, you know, if anything, you're making an eighth of a percent or, you know, today they're, they're probably going to tout, particularly in the States. Oh, it's a high interest checking account. You're going to make 3% on this checking account. Mm -hmm. And a year or two years ago, three years ago, people would jump at that. Oh my God, 3% on this money. This is amazing. But today they'll pay you three 
so they can turn around and loan it out at nine or 10 or 15 or 25 if it's on a credit card. Mm -hmm. And so they want your deposits, right? And this is, this is part of the mindset shift is that we're raised in a banker's business model. And the banker's business model is if you want to buy something, you just go tell your banker, I need X amount of money. And they say, well, how long do you want to have to pay it back? Here's your payment. And we dutifully do that, but we never really question, is there a better way or a more efficient way? Because deep down, we, the borrower, the consumer, is the bank's compound interest vehicle, right? I mean, your, your tenants in your property, they are your compound interest vehicle. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would say, yeah, they're, they're paying my mortgage down. They're providing cash flow. And essentially the asset is self-liquidating because they're providing the rental income to pay for the asset. So yeah. That's exactly right. That's sure. exactly right. And so if we're going to tie this to, to your investors, as an example, Anthony, mm -hmm. one of the things that I would tell them is our goal may not be to pay the mortgage off entirely. It, it, it may not be, but when you first get into a mortgage, like if you don't mind playing along with me on this, would you be open to it? Yeah, let's do it. What was the last property you bought when, or when was it? Uh, February of this year, 2022. Okay. So you're new. I mean, you're like nine months, eight months into this mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, in looking at the statement, the majority of the payment that you make to that mortgage company is interest. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At the, especially at the beginning, right? Especially at the beginning. So the goal may not be to pay that, that property off though. Long-term, maybe it is for you. You know, if the goal is to, to reduce all of that risk, let's just pay it down to zero. But what if the goal at the outset is twofold? Number one, it's to accelerate the amortization table. So you're at payment three, you're at payment one, but how do we get to payment 180 or, or 200 or 220 really fast? Because when you get down there, the majority of your payment is now going to principal. Yeah. Right. Secondly, we want to create equity in the property. So the more you're paying that down in short order, the more equity you have available that you could go deploy somewhere else to, to start building wealth again. Yeah, for sure. Right. And, and again, most, most investors will say, okay, got my loan, got the thing in place. It's paying for itself. Now I'm going to start squirreling money away in this savings account to be able to put another downstroke down. Yeah. And I would argue that that's actually an inefficient way of doing it. That the more efficient way would be, can you pump that money into the mortgage you just took out? create equity, and then borrow from that equity as the next down payment, because you'll pay far less in interest in the long haul by doing it that way. You'll pay far less when you're looking at the whole life of the mortgage, because yep. when you spread out how much interest you're paying by not paying that principal down sooner. That's right. Over a span of 10, 15, 20, 30 years. That's exactly right. Yep. Okay. So you remember when you closed in February, signing the till, the truth and lending disclosure? I don't sure. Know if they yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know all the terms and stuff, but yeah, I signed yeah. some papers for sure. Yeah. It, I mean, in the States anyway, the stack is, you know, two inches tall and, and, yeah. and it keeps getting bigger and you're literally signing your life away. And I, I was in the mortgage business for a time and I remember telling people, Hey, this is just the government's way of depressing you just sign at the bottom. <laughs> and it basically said, if you borrowed $300,000 at 3%, then the amount of interest you're going to pay on that over the life alone is 180,000. So you borrowed 300, but you'll pay 480 over the life of the loan. Well, today at seven and a half percent, if you borrow 300, you'll probably pay closer to 400 or four and a quarter back 
in interest. So you're actually going to pay back more like 700, 725 mm -hmm. on a $300,000 mortgage. So what we're doing again, is we're just gaming the amortization table using the bank's money against the bank and um, saving a, a, a boatload of interest in the process. Now, Adam, what if someone was like, instead of paying that down, um, what if I found an investment that produced a good return, you know, better than the return on paying down the interest of my mortgage? What would you say mm -hmm. to that? Yeah, I'd say by all means do it. Yeah, got it. I mean, this the, the nice thing about the shred method is it's not a, it's not, it, can anyone do it? The answer would be yes. Should everyone do it? The answer is no. Mm -hmm. Um. And it's not a, 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 it's a both and not a either or. So yeah. you wouldn't like, oh, I'm just going to go do this or I'm going to do this. We often will, will coach people, hey, you can use the shred method and continually go out and keep investing in properties when it works really well, <clears throat> excuse me, is when um, your income keeps rising, but your expenses stay relatively the same. And, and you've probably experienced this before, maybe with clients uh, at the brokerage there, but as folks income goes up, then their lifestyle expenses go up. And the problem with that is, yeah, you're making great money and there's great income coming in from the properties, but if there's no extra, then it's harder to either knock down those debts or save for the next one. But if, if, if your expenses are two grand a month, or let me give you a real life example. Let's say your expenses are five grand a month. And your income goes from ten to fifteen thousand a month. Then should your expenses go from five to ten, or would it be best to go from five to maybe six thousand? And now you've got this major spread there. Sure, yeah. And treat yourself and, a little bit, but not too much. That's right. And candidly, it's the secret to long-term wealth. It's like, what is the spread between your income and your expenses over the longest period possible? And if the goal is to continually create a large spread for the longest amount of time, you'll have a ton of pennies when you retire. Yeah. I always liked Robert Kiyosaki's line, which was, you know, live within your means, but expand your means at the same time. Yes, totally. And, uh, you know, cause expanding your means, you know, it's, it's like, just live within your means. It's something depressing about that. Like just, you know, but it's important. Like it's like personal finance one-on-one. It's like the very first rule, live within your means, but at the same time, constantly work on expanding your means so that your means can go up. So you are always yes. constantly living within them, but that's rising. And that's kind of exactly what you're saying. Totally. Another totally. thing is the, the little point or objection I made about, you know, what if you could find an investment that provides a better return? You know, it depends how speculative that investment is too. Yeah. Like, because paying your mortgage down, it's not an investment it's not an investment. You could call it that, but it's like, you know what, what you're getting back when you pay that mortgage down. Whereas the investment you found that might be a better return than that depends on what that investment is, you know, what the risk of that is. Right. So that's another thing to think about. I, I would add to that, that, that paying off your mortgage, they're, they're advisors, financial advisor, friends of mine. They're like, that's the dumbest thing. You shouldn't do that. And, and I'll say it may be, it may honestly be in, in some circles, the dumbest thing possible but I can't tell you emotionally how freeing it is. Yeah. I mean, I need, I need, and again, I'm, I'm probably going to, I'm going to disclose way more than I probably should or would anywhere else. I need one speaking gig a month to fully fund a family of five. And, and I'm not talking like a 12, five gig. I'm talking like a $3,500, $5,000 speaking gig. I could discount my gigs and make enough to, to cover the monthly. 
and the emotional feeling that that is that is there for me is it just makes life easy and that's because you've completely eliminated all your debts eliminated my debts we built assets that generate cash flow um i mean candidly we're we're probably we would be considered in the fire movement to a certain extent um, a financially independent retire early but we're on coast fire there's more than enough money set aside in, in assets now work it, it's i wouldn't call it optional but it's definitely um it's by choice we go and we do the work that we want to do because we want to do it not because we have to and the emotional security that that creates for people i think can't be overstated because you know folks that are like i'm going to try and uh i'm going to try and knock it out of the park on investments but still wake up in a cold sweat every night wondering oh my god are my tenants going to pay their bills you got to wonder like is that emotional stress and toil worth it in the long run yeah there's trade offs from speaking yeah. to some older investors here um you know they told me that their houses are fully paid off and they could be leveraging it you know they have millions of dollars of equity in those properties that they yep. could be leveraging and you know putting to work for them but they just decided not to they're like the financial security the peace of mind the feeling yep. like i don't have to be on a treadmill um if something happens to me you know my wife my kids they're taken care of right the house yep. is paid off just the security of that was yep. so worth it to them and after hearing that i'm like oh that's the goal like that's the goal in life it's not yep. to just leverage yourself to the max right even though as a young person, you know, that's how I kind of got started is by leveraging myself sure. up. And I'm still in that position to a certain extent. I've got three properties, three mortgages on them. Yeah. But it's like, I know what the end goal is now. It's that it's that security and emotional feeling of well-being, right? Because yes. otherwise, why are you doing all this stuff for it? Just to, to put more dollars on the, on the scoreboard? It's like, who cares at a certain yeah. point, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, the only thing that I would add to the people who who are older that have all millions of dollars in equity in their properties, um, they're probably missing one small boat. And that is I would be deploying 50 or hundred grand at a time into a, a infinite banking policy, high equity cash value life insurance, so that they were building this bank of money, you know, that they could leverage at any time and not have payments on. So yeah. that's the okay. magic of that. Right? Okay. So this shred method, um, Let's bring it back to the basics. Uh, yeah. You kind of explained it already, but is there anything you haven't explained about it? Um, like, how does this whole process work? I wanted first. I want to give you a metaphor because I think it's easy for people to understand the image of this. Right? Um, if you were if you were to leave your home in the morning, Anthony, at like eight a.m. to go to the grocery store, it's a Saturday. Let's say you come back home, uh, park your car, but you're going to go to the post office at four p.m. later that afternoon. Would you leave your car idling in the driveway all day long? No. Why not? Because uh, it's burning gas when I'm not actually using the gas to get somewhere. Got it. Great, great way of describing this. So it's inefficient. It burns gas. You wouldn't necessarily have to burn otherwise. People's paychecks function very similarly. So their paycheck comes in, right? Meaning they go to the grocery store at 8 a.m. on a Saturday. And then they park that money in their checking account or their savings account, and it sits there, and it sits there, and it sits there, and it sits there. And they don't use it. Maybe they do. They swipe their debit card or buy stuff on credit. They know they're going to have to pay something down. But it's super inefficient. It's an inefficient use of money. And while the money is sitting in the bank, the banks are like, thanks for the deposit. Yeah. We're going to go loan this out nine mm -hmm. times over, right? 
And so what I tell people is this, this mindset shift that you're going to make is that the money that you're parking, you're not going to park in the driveway idling. You're going to park it in something that's actually going to save you money, but you're still going to have access to whatever you need. And that's where the line of credit really comes in. So logistically, here's what you need to, to make the shred method work. You need a, a line of credit, or if you can't get a line of credit, a savings account with a sufficient amount of money in it that you just haven't touched in a while would also work. And our, our coaching on this is, hey, we still believe that people need an, an emergency fund. So we're going to coach you on how much you would actually leverage or use at any given point in time. Um, but you either need a line of credit or a savings account. Which you one's need... better, Adam? Sorry to interrupt. Which one is ideal? Personally, I think a line of credit because there's, it's a liquidity tool, right? I mean, when you, if you have $50,000 line of credit and you're only leveraging or deploying five or 10 grand at a time, there's $40,000 sitting there available to you that you could go deploy into real estate or into, you know, this week, probably Bitcoin or Ethereum or something. If you're, if you're wanting to gamble on that going back up. Um, but at the, at the, at the outset, anything that comes across your desk that you're like, that'd be a great investment. You know, think about hard money lenders. They're making 10% on money for three months, six months. Imagine if you had 10 grand sitting there and you're like, I'll, I'll loan you 10 grand on this mm -hmm. flip you're going to do, or this rehab you're doing or whatever. So ideally a line of credit with the lowest interest possible is what you want to use for this. That's right. Okay. Yep. So a and ideally it's fixed. Yeah. So like a yep. HELOC is like probably the best bet for this method. HELOC is best bet. PLOC or BLOC would be second, right? PLOC is personal line of credit. BLOC is business line of credit. And then there is something called a cash value line of credit, which is essentially tied to any equity that you might have in a life insurance plan. So if you've got a whole life policy and there's 50 grand sitting there, you could go get a cash value line of credit and it would likely have a very, maybe not very small, but it would have a lower interest rate on that, but it's tied to the equity or the, the, the collateral would be what's in your account. Yep. You then need income. So the income would be you, your significant other, the incomes dump into the HELOC and then you pay your bills as normal. And, and this is the amazing thing. When we get people started in shred, they're like, okay, so am I going to have to like scrimp and save and do the whole beans and rice thing? And we're like, just live your life normally, you know, go on vacation, buy a TV. If you want a TV, don't, you can change some of that. It'll change how fast you pay stuff off. But what we're doing is we're really just creating efficiency with your income. So the more efficient the income, the more it pumps through the system and, and saves you, uh, saves you interest, creates equity pays down your debt. Wait, sorry. So you're putting the income into the HELOC. Yes. So the HELOC has a balance on it, we're assuming, or? The, the HELOC will always have a balance on it because we're assuming that we're going to use some of the HELOC against our debts to knock those out. Okay. That makes sense? Sure. And then, so why, if the HELOC has like, let's say significantly higher interest than the mortgage, Yep. how is it more efficient? Like, what's the math on that? The math is, let's say it's a $300,000 mortgage at 4%. Okay. The interest that's charged on that mortgage is whatever the, the balance on the mortgage is on the last day of the previous month, that's how much interest you pay, right? So if you owe 300,000 mm, at 4% divided by 12, that's your interest, right? 
So that would be what a thousand bucks in interest if my math, quick math is correct. On the HELOC side, let's say it's at 7% and you deploy $5,000 right up front. You send five grand to your mortgage. Are you still tracking with me? Yes. Yep. yep. Gotcha. So if you send five grand to your mortgage of 300,000, how much would you owe on the mortgage? Uh, the mortgage is 300,000. It was 300,000. Yep. So but we two, put 295. 295, right. So the interest the next month on the mortgage is 295 times 4% divided by 12, right? Which is a significantly smaller number. Um, but the, the main savings is when you look at an amortization table and you look at a $300,000 mortgage, which might be payment one, to get to 295 would probably take you to payment 14 to get to $295,000 on a balance. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So what you're saving is 11 payments or 13 payments of whatever your principal and interest was in order to get to 295. So in effect, the, the interest savings is 13 months in this example of whatever the interest expense was, which is probably going to be around $1,000 a month. So you've borrowed five grand to save $11,000 in interest on the mortgage. And the amount of interest that you're going to pay on that HELOC is going to be based on the average daily balance. So it goes up and down and up and down throughout the month because your income goes in twice. So we borrow five grand that's up here. Our income comes in, brings the balance down. We might have some bills that we pay out of that HELOC. Our income comes in again, takes us down a little bit farther. And now the average daily balance on that money might be more like, I mean, let's say it's $2,000 was the average daily balance. So what would happen on that in a simple interest standpoint is two grand times, let's say it was five, uh, what did I say? 7%? Sure. Yeah. Maybe let's seven. say it's 7%. And you divide that by 12. What happens was you just paid $11.66 in interest to borrow two grand for a month. Technically it was five, but your income was dumping in and, you know, sure. Let's say it money. averages out to like 15 bucks. Yep. Yep. So 15, the question is, would you pay $15 in simple interest to borrow 5,000 if you knew it could save you 11,000 on the back end of your mortgage? Yeah, that sounds pretty good, man. And it's, it's not magic. It's math, right? Like, People will always say, but it's the interest rate, the interest rate. There are two factors when you're looking at debt payments and, and interest. It is the balance on the debt itself and the interest rate. It's not just the interest rate, right? Because the balance on the debt amortized over a long time, that's a significant amount of interest. Very, very little to principal. Yeah. Yeah. If you're comparing, um, you're right. You have to think about that. That's the big picture. Um, I guess where I was coming from, I was, I was comparing trying to compare apples to apples, like what's the interest rate on the HELOC versus the interest rate on that. But if you yep. look at what you can pay down and then, so nothing changes from regular life, the, the income, instead of going in the checking account, or I guess originally it goes in there, it just goes to that HELOC. That's right. Hmm. Yep. And in effect, the way that logistically it work, works for us and for many of our shred clients, money comes into checking because it's just direct deposit automatic. And most HELOCs, currently don't allow for direct deposit. We're trying to partner with financial institutions that will allow us to do direct deposit into a HELOC. But right now, it direct deposits into checking, we immediately kick it over to the HELOC. 
same day. Like we know when we get paid, we get text message when it lands. We log into the online bank, move it from one place to another, and that's that. And then when bills come due, you move money from the HELOC to checking, pay your bill, and the process continues. So, yeah, this is very interesting. So you've paid down all of your debts at this point though, right? Mm -hmm. But So are you still using this method? We are still using the method. So how do you use it when you're not paying down other debts? Great question. This is a, such a good question. The shred method is part one of what we call a 10-year freedom plan. So I have it that, that every single person out there, no matter your income, no matter your debts, you could be financially free in 10 years time in using this process. Adam, don't and, uh, don't say that. You're getting me excited here, man. Anytime yeah. someone pitches uh, something like that, I'm like, okay, I'll listen. I'll listen. It's, it's mind-blowingly simple. Okay. Uh, the first two years, two to three years, you're using Shred and you're mm -hmm. creating more and more equity in your properties, you know, which which is essentially liquidity. Would you agree with that? Like the sure. more equity you have. If you're able to access that. Yep. If you're able to access it, that's liquidity. You know, yeah. So that's kind of granted, you know, you still have the credit score and the income, but yes. Yep. In that circumstance. And one of one of the rules of this working is that your income's always greater than your expenses. So there's always got to be a spread between what you make and what you spend, always. Otherwise, the shred method stops working. It just, I mean, it's like you have no gas in your tank, if you know, to use that analogy. And that's because the debt on the HELOC is accumulating and you can't, the income's not coming in? That's, it could be not coming in. It could be you're overspending what you make. So in, your, in which your case, debt's just HELOC, going up. Yeah, it keeps going up. That's got exactly it. right. Okay. So first two to three years, shred, build equity, create liquidity. Year two and a half to three to about five or six, you're funding, you're, you're uh, paying premiums on a cash value life insurance plan. And it's technically known as infinite banking or in the, in the industry, there's a lot of different names for it. Bank on yourself and a number of different companies offer this product. But essentially what you're doing is you're building a bank of money that is yours to use as you see fit. And you can, you can loan it to yourself. You can borrow it out to other people. Um, you know, if you put a hundred thousand dollars in, you can borrow up to usually 96 or $98,000 at any given time. And this is kind of the magic of this is that the money that's, that, that is in there or was in there, that's put in there continues to earn at a consistent rate because it's contractual with the insurance company. You borrow money out, you might pay 5% borrowing that money out, but you only have to pay interest on it once a year when the premium comes due. And even then you can kick out the insurance or the interest expense to next year if you wanted to. So imagine, Anthony, if five years from now, you add $100,000 in available capital that you could borrow out and deploy at any, any way you wanted to. So it could be five properties you put 20 grand down on. It could be two at 50. It could be one at hundred and you don't have to make a payment on it. Would that be beneficial for you and in your investing? Sure. Well, don't you eventually have to make a payment on it? You eventually do. I mean, you're going to make a premium payment every year just to keep the policy in place. And eventually you're going to want to pay it down. But back to your question, how do we use shred when you pay everything off? Yeah. Well, the debt now becomes the money that I have in my policy, I'm deploying all the time and I'm redeploying it into other syndications or other real estate deals or other intellectual property plays. And that becomes the mortgage that I'm shredding now. 
So in effect, I'm just refilling the bucket in the policy to then go deploy it again. Okay. So three to, f uh, I think you said three to five years in, you yep. switch to this. Are you, are you switching the method of putting the money of using the HELOC as the checking account and then nope. switching to the infinite banking? Nope. Keep, keep the policy, keep the, the HELOC going, keep churning your money through. Candidly, you'll never get away. Not never. You could stop doing it if you wanted to, but personally, I would, I will never go back to, to using my personal finance in the way that I used to. I will always use a line of credit to deploy some at some level somewhere, whether it's to infinite banking, it could be to go after some other debt. It could be to buy classic cars. I mean, I'm always going to deploy it somewhere because it's inefficient if it's just sitting there unused. Okay. So sorry, walk me back to the infinite banking part. So yep. three to five years in, your debts are now paid down. Yep. And maybe not off, but down quite a bit. So the majority of your payments go into principal. Yep. Okay. Let's just say to keep it simple, let's say everything's paid off completely. Okay. No more debts. Great. So now all that income is coming in. You're, you're able to keep most of it. You're still putting that into the HELOC, but then um, starting the, the uh, high cash value life insurance policy at that time. That's right. That's right. Okay. And then and, so you're, the you, are you funding that policy by using the HELOC? You are. And this is the big, this is the distinction that for people who say, oh gosh, cash value life insurance. I don't know. It's just so expensive and yada, yada. Well, the way most agents sell it is, okay, your payment's going to be $1,500 or $2,000 a month, every month for 12 months. And now it just feels like you have a bigger nut to crack. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you write a one-time $25,000 premium check at the beginning of the year out of your HELOC and you're, you're used to your income cycling through the HELOC, it just feels like normal course of business. Okay. And so this is why people don't go into those kinds of policies or don't leverage them appropriately, not appropriately. They don't leverage those to the maybe aggressive nature that they could mm -hmm. is it feels like God, I have to write this huge check two or three years running four years running, six years running, however long it is. And you get to decide that. Um, but when you have equity in your home and you have access to it through the HELOC, very easy to write those big checks, 25, 50, $100,000 at a time. Um, you want to be mindful, obviously, of what your interest rate is on the HELOC. But so long as your income is sufficient and it's cycling through there, the interest that you'll pay on it is negligible. Okay, so let's say an example... Um, someone does a 25 grand payment from the HELOC to fund the policy for that year. Yep. And then are just throughout the course of the year, paying that 25,000 down the balance yes. down their income is going in. Yep. Okay. So then, the, then there's 25 grand in the infinite banking policy. And yep. I know at year one and stuff, it's, it's, uh, you're often unable to access as much. It takes, I think a couple yep. of years to be able to build up to where you can access like up to 90% of what you put in yep. or whatever. Okay, so then, but let's just say year one, you can borrow up to 90% of that 25 grand from the infinite banking policy. Um, so let's say it's 20 grand, and then you put that to work in an investment. Yep. Okay, and then that investment, the cash flow from that investment then covers your debt payments to the infinite banking policy? It could do that. It could be funneled right back into the HELOC to help bring the HELOC balance down faster. Okay. Because at some point in time, your HELOC is going to be paid down close to zero. And you'll look at your infinite banking policy and go, oh gosh, well, I owe 20 grand against that. 
maybe I should just write a 20 grand check into the policy, fill that bucket back up again. And now I'm okay. going to keep shredding the, the line of credit with my income. Okay. So I can see there's definitely a learning curve here to try and wrap your head yeah. around all this. I can see myself getting a bit overwhelmed with this. Oh, what's my debt payment on this? What's my debt payment on this? Yeah. So what's your solution for that? For getting... Yeah. Because you're using debt, right? So you yeah. know, I'm trying to think of what the downside yeah. of this policy is. The shred thing paying down the mortgage. When yep. you when you frame it in the big picture of how you're paying the the balance down. And so you're, you know, saving in that example we used like 12 months of of interest payments, which is like 12 grand in the example yep. we used. Wow, like makes total sense. Yep. Now I'm getting a bit confused with all the different debt payments and stuff like that. Sure, sure. So how do you manage this yourself? The easiest way, candidly, is when when we started using the shred method. And we, we pioneered, you know, my wife and I have spent years now kind of developing and honing the 10-year freedom plan along with a lot of partners and people who, who help us along the way, syndicators, the infinite banking folks that we work with. Um, but, but to be very candid, we have a piece of software that powers your day-to-day -day activity. And it's all based on several complex algorithms that are tracking your income, your expenses, your debt loads. Um, we have a, a space in there for infinite banking policies and what the interest rate on that is and when the payments are due. So the software, in all honesty, is going to make those decisions for you, I would put in air quotes, because it's a projection tool. So it will tell you, Anthony, on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis, move this amount of money to this account, and it'll show you balances and interest rates. And we have a fancy graph that shows you where, you know, where the, where's the delta between, um, should I pay this down or this down, you know, in, in terms of payment order. Um, but the software itself is ultimately like a behavior modification tool. It's just teaching you how to walk, uh, toe, heel, toe, heel. Bankers have taught us how to walk heel, toe, heel, toe. And this thing will teach you how to walk toe, heel, toe, heel, which in our world is, this is just more efficient. Okay. So then what, I feel like in life, there's always pros and cons to everything. Yeah. What would the con be of using the shred method and then uh, expanding into using the shred method with the infinite bank? Like what's, what's the downside of this? Where do you see it not working for people? Um, well, if someone's you... a spender and they're just prone to look at, oh gosh, I have nothing on my credit card or I have, uh, you know, I have 50,000 on my line of credit. Let's go get a boat. Let's get a four wheeler. Let's you know, go to dinner, let's take a vacation. It doesn't work for people who, who in the absence of discipline, they just go bananas, right? It just won't work because those people, we've had some clients where, you know, we'll look at their system or like, Hey, you're going backwards. You're spending more money than you're making. This just doesn't work for you. So that would be a con is that when given the opportunity to leverage debt, some people will, and they'll do it in an, in an inopportune way. Um, you know, one of the cons is you are going to reorient how you think about money and some of your, I mean, candidly, one of the biggest cons for me is family, uh, friends, advisor, friends of mine, like that's so dumb. You should be, and they'll tell me things like you should be fully invested in your SEP IRA and your, your five, your 529 plan for your kids and blah, blah, blah. And my response usually is, no, we have some of that. I'm not going to continue putting money where it doesn't need to be though. And, and the reason behind it is, you know, when you start using shred, you realize 
hey, if, if there's a storm and my, my roof blows off, maybe that's not a good example, but let's say there's some catastrophic thing that happens. I literally can stroke a check out of multiple accounts and cover it. And that's, that, that sort of speaks to the heart of financial freedom and, and peace around that emotional well-being and all the stuff you talked about. Um, is the people the reason people have insurance and they want to be sold insurance is because if something catastrophic happened, they couldn't afford it. And so you start to go, well, why can't they afford it? Why can't they? Because we've been operating in this age-old process that makes bankers rich and the average American or average consumer poor. Mm -hmm. So this is taking back the banking function in your own life. Now, do you rely on the banks for anything aside from maybe HELOC accounts that type, and your checking and savings account? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Checking, savings, HELOC. Um, it, you know, the ability to transfer money in and out simply, that's that's a huge deal. If, if I were to if I were to, you know, bake the cake the way I wanted it made, I would have a line of credit that took direct deposit in. I would have a credit card attached to that line of credit that when you swiped it, it automatically debited from the line of credit. And I would be able to do bill pay out of the line of credit. And at that rate, I wouldn't, I would not worry about checking savings I might have, but it would really, it would probably be relegated to the infinite banking. You know, like savings, you don't need rampant access to savings. Typically people save because they're like, well, I'm saving for this future thing, which in itself is somewhat inefficient. But if you've got the money sitting in a, in a policy, I can go on my phone and from the app, just request a check from the insurance company. It's here within two days. And then I would, you know, you go use that to, to buy whatever I want. So we use, we use the bank. We use, we technically use a credit union. Um, but we use it relatively sparingly. I mean, it's for three or four small purposes and that's it. Okay. So how could real estate investors, um, let's say there's an investor with, you know, three, four properties, how can they use this shred method to accelerate the uh, pay down and really save that, that interest rate spread on those four different mortgages? How would you kind of set that arrangement up? Yeah. So number one, I'd want to make sure that they had more income coming in than they have expenses, right? That was just in early. their life in general or on each property. Um, the way I would do it, probably if I were coaching an investor and they had four properties is I would say, does all that money go into one account? You know, let's say it's one managed operating account for, for all properties and then have a line of credit attached to that account and kick that income to that, to that line of credit. So, Again, for numbers sake, let's say that the income on those properties is 10 grand and the expenses are five grand, then that extra five grand would go to the HELOC every single month, right? Actually, the whole 10 grand would go in there, but you're paying five grand out and you have five grand extra. The first month, the shred software would probably say, go ahead and send $15,000 to this one mortgage. So you're sending it out of the line of credit, sending it to the mortgage, 10 grand drops in two days later for rents. Now you owe five grand on that line of credit. You pay your $5,000 in expenses. So now you owe 10 grand on that line of credit. And in two more weeks, 10 grand is going to drop back in again. So what the system is going to do is it's going to say, Hey, you have an income event coming. 
let's make some room in the line of credit, send $3,672 over to this mortgage over here. And so in the first month or two, uh, you know, you may have sent 18 or 20 grand to that mortgage just like that. And what it's done in the first couple of months is it will take you from payment, whatever you're at one or five or 10 to payment 25 because of the moves you've just made. Okay. And then I know this might be going backwards a bit, but if you could bring yeah. it to the beginning again, just one more time so I can understand, yeah. why not just use a checking account and why are you using this HELOC instead of the checking account? Because you're limited to the amount that's in the checking account to whatever has gone in the checking account. So by accessing the other larger sums of money, which can be used, you're, you're paying a smaller amount of interest on that than what you're saving by, got it, by paying yeah. down those mortgage balances. Yeah. I would ask the question, why would you put nitrous oxide in your gas tank when you could just use gas? Right? Why, if you're, if you're driving a race car, why would you put nitrous oxide in your, in your tank? What do you mean by that? It's well, they, they use NOx. If you're, if you're familiar with like the fast and the furious movies, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. they hit that button no two goes into the engine and it makes them go faster just like that. Yeah. So the reason we use the line of credit is it's just faster. It's, it's more efficient and you're, you're technically using a little bit extra every single month uh, over and above what you're bringing in in income. Got it. Okay. Yep. So then with the five pro or the four property example, you would, uh, let's say just pay down one mortgage at a time and you would pick the mortgage with the highest balance or maybe the highest interest rate. You do the math to find out what's more efficient to pay down. Uh, that's exactly right. With one qualifier, I would probably go after the one that was most recent so whatever your newest mortgage is, Got I might it. go after that one first and maybe only do it for six months or eight months and then pivot to the next newest one, knock that one down. Then the next one, knock that one down the next one. So it, it may not be like, oh, we're going to go after one until it's gone. Mm -hmm. We're going to go after one until the majority of our, maybe the majority of our payments going to principal, or at least half of it's going to principal. Because and then you would switch to the other one. That's right. Ah, that's okay. Right. Now, does your software help you people do these different debt calculations and stuff? Yes. Okay. Because yeah. I, I would just see myself with with a, a number of different properties. If I wanted to try and start this, I'd be like, okay, you know, I'd have to really sit down, take a whole morning, drink a couple coffees and figure out yeah. all this stuff. So that would be helpful. We have an um, amazing team that asks some really profound questions that get to the heart of what we're looking for. And it would be things like, Hey, can you just pull up your latest mortgage statement or your amortization table? Let's look at it really quick. Okay. So we would be here and here and here in eight months time. And this is how much you'd save. Let's go after this one first. So it's, it's really simple. I mean, we've, we've been doing this for so long that with so many people and so many real estate investors, that if someone's really looking to make a difference, 20, 30 minutes with us is going to, is going to be well worth the time. So if you're the disciplined person who has more income coming in than expenses going out, you know, you're you're a positive cash flow individual yep. with some discipline, you think this method makes sense for them. I if do. they're willing to put the time and, and and energy into learning about how to use it effectively. I do. And it's okay. especially Just for want those to summarize that, it all. And you did a great job of doing that, Anthony. I would add to that that it's great for the person that that's continually asking themselves there's got to be another way that I can speed this process up, but I don't, they, maybe they, whether they're risk averse or they're just like, I have too much leverage or I want to get more leverage, but I want to pump the brakes or do some smart things here. 
if you're looking for another way, at least investigate it. Okay. This is all very interesting, man. Um, so you're based in the US. Where can people learn more about you, about the shred method, how it all works, uh, get access to the software? Where can people find out about you? Yeah, the best place to go is theshredmethod.com. Okay. And we've got all sorts of evergreen content there. So there's a webinar you can watch. It's 27 minutes, basically breaks down the math of what we just talked about. Um, we have a HELOC guide. So it'll tell you exactly what you're looking for in a home equity line of credit or PLOC or BLOC. And then we've got uh, a savings calculator. So you can actually go in and plug in your, your numbers, your mortgage number, your debts, your living expenses, income, and it'll kick out. Now it's, it's a rough rudimentary calculator because we don't have all the granularity in that. But if you're plugging in raw numbers, it's going to tell you in this number of years and months, this is how much you will save in interest. Okay. And you've worked with Canadians before. This works for, for Canadians. Just it want does. to clarify. It does. We have Canadians on our shred uh, roster. They're part of our tribe. Okay. Okay. Very interesting, man. And then really quickly, just before we wrap um, the documentary and the Ted talk, like how do you, how do you, I know you've built up a career public speaking and stuff. How does one uh, get on the Ted talk stage? I've always just found that interesting. It, it's a really interesting story. Uh, I, I had come to the conclusion that I wanted to do a TED talk at some point. And um, I was going to a mastermind group one day and I had it on my, on my mind. Like, I'm going to do this. I got to figure out how to do this. And one of my mastermind partners, he said, at the bottom of your signature line on your email, just do a solid double dash line. And then in big, bold red letters, write out what your desire is. So I wrote, it is my desire to one day grace a TED stage. If you could help me do that, I'd be forever in your debt. And that was it. I just had that as like a, a wish list almost. And I sent out emails for weeks and probably two or three months. And then one day, lo and behold, I got an email from uh, someone that said, Adam, I'm on the curation team for a TEDx event. You were the first person I thought of. What do you think about coming and delivering a talk? So that was my first one. And I did, I did one at uh, University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. And then, and it, it went fine. Lighting was bad. The, the, it was like their freshman effort, you know, and I got home and like five weeks later, I got an almost verbatim email from someone in London and it said, Adam, I'm on the curation team for a TEDx event at the London business school. You were the first person I thought of, would you want to come over and deliver a talk? So that was my second one that ended up going viral. So, so you, so it was because of what you put in your, in your thing, like word got out or someone, these two people I, had received your emails. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a fatalist to a certain extent. Like I believe that we're, we're constantly manifesting our own life. Yeah. And I think that was part of the manifestation. Like I said, I wanted it. I put it out into the world and the universe responded. Yeah. Um, and once you wrote it down, it became more real. It became real. Yeah. Yep. Interesting, yep. man. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Uh, very interesting stuff. I'm intrigued with, um, this, I got to do the math. I'm in, I'm definitely intrigued. It's, uh, yeah. it's got my attention. So I can, I'm going to check you out, um, more for cool. sure after this. Is there anything you want to leave our audience with, um, just to wrap up here? I have this theory that we're all life architects, you know, and, and some people don't think they are. They think that, that the world is sort of dictating what's going to happen to them. And, and I honestly, I think for investors out there, who are probably already of the mindset, but if you wake up every day going, how am I going to create the most kick-ass life possible for myself? My life, my terms, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's why I love your show is that 
the people who listen to this should be life architects and realize that the life that you're living is the one that you have built. And if you're not happy with the results today, change some of your decisions. And in the next six months or 12 months, your life will change dramatically. Um, but know that you are in control of this. And, you know, to circle back to what we've talked about here, this for me was, was one of the steps along the path that once I figured out shred and realized, okay, I'm in full control of my finances in my life. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm living what I think is a pretty dreamful existence every day. I wish that for your, your listeners. Yeah. Thank you, man. That's cool. I've always felt personally, our message here, your life, your terms has been really a call to action to take self-responsibility for your life. Yes. Um, because you know, you can definitely influence it just like you said. So absolutely. Thank you, Adam. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah. I love the conversation, Anthony. Thanks for the questions and, and for doing what you guys do. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. Awesome. Okay. All right. We'll just click right it on, there. Man. Dude, that was awesome, man. Love it. Love how, the questions how, going deep. How often do you do these um, long form podcasts? Yours is probably the longest form one that I've done. Oh, um, really? And I, I prefer them because it feels like you get, you just get, you're, you're able to get more in the weeds. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been on somewhere. It's like, gosh, we talked for 15 minutes and it's up and we haven't really even covered anything yet. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan. We try to limit it to an hour. So I just kind of stick with the model we have here, but yep. man, I, there's some conversations like this one where I'm like, I could stretch this out three hours easily. I yes. could talk. And I also want to respect the guests because we book in in certain times and stuff, but, uh, totally. um, yeah, dude, this is really intriguing. I'm, I'm definitely, so is this, I, I thought about this cause I think I saw it on your website Yeah, and I didn't ask, but is this velocity banking? It is. It's similar. Okay. Um, so what's, so, what has, cause it seems like you've branded your own shred method thing and stuff. So, yep. so is that like, how much of that is like marketing and this is the Adam, you know, this is how you express it and, and explain it. How much of that is like kind of different from this concept of velocity banking? I would say that we are probably 90, 85 to 90% similar. Okay. The difference is going to be in some of the strategies that we use around things like, and we didn't really touch on this, but you're using a credit card for every single thing that you buy throughout the month. So gas, groceries, haircuts, you know, you name it. And then the HELOC pays the credit card off. So you're not taking out any more debt and, and it's just being more efficient. Um, but then we add in some elements like the shred method is really about building the life that you want. So if you want to travel a ton, well, let's look at what are the perks, the cards and perks that you're using to make sure that you're traveling a ton. And, um, certainly yeah. the infinite banking side, those who are like pure velocity banker types, I don't know that they connected the two. I I've not seen a velocity banking website or theory say, okay, now leverage this into this, into this. And, and for me, it was almost always, a um, this is, this is not the means to the end. This is the means to the next thing and then the next thing and then the life you want. Yeah. So I don't know if that makes sense, but um, it, it, by and large and answer your question, it is a marketing thing. No question. Sure. Yeah. Um, but we deep down, you know, I mentioned if I could wave a magic wand and create the account that I want. Yeah. We're in talks with a couple of, of lending firms about how do we build 
shred the shred account. And so you would literally go to shred, sign up for an account. You immediately get 20 grand available to you oh, or 10 cool. grand or whatever the number is. Yeah. And, and we build it exactly as we want it. And I think that that, that company would be an acquisition target in five years or less. Yeah. So that's where we're headed. Very cool, man. I like how you married the infinite banking with the um, velocity banking aspect of it too, because I like I do the infinite banking. I've got a policy and stuff already in action. Yeah. And so I kind of went down that rabbit hole in the past, you know, a year and a half or so, I guess. And did you fully fund the premium all at once or did you make monthly? Monthly. Payments? Yeah, monthly. Yeah. I didn't have the funds available to uh, to do it in one premium, but I know eventually I'd, I think it's better to get to the yearly fund. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it, you get to you get to a compound interest inflection point way faster. Okay, you know what I mean, where the money in your policy is actually making money. Yeah, and it's. Did you read uh, "Becoming Your Own Banker"? I did. Arnold yeah, Nash? yeah, yeah, all of those. And then we've got uh, you know we're up in Canada, so there's this guy um, who's part of that whole scene and goes down to the big conference they have every year. Yep. Darren Mitchell, he's up here. Okay. Um. Anyway, so I've my policies with him, and he wrote his own book, yep. which is great. But yeah, I've read all the "Becoming Your Own Banker" stuff. Yep. And in his book, he talked about, I'm sure it's in Darren's book too, the power of this down the road. Like it, it, it truly is a future type investment, although they will say, oh, this is an investment. This is a process, right? Banking is not a, yeah. a product. It's a process. Um, we're four, four or five years in to our policy. And then we just started another one for my wife and we'll launch one for each of my three kids in the next year. So by the time they're 22, you know, they'll have 40 or $50,000 in policies that they'll be able to deploy into real estate or whatever they want. Um, but in the four or five years that we've been doing it, it's, it is like astronomical what happens as you start getting six figures or more in there and it's churning on itself. Cause you go, Oh God, our paid up additions went up by whatever it was, you know, yeah. between the dividends and the interest. So so yeah. my, I say that to say, stick with it because it's, it's worth it. Yeah. It seems powerful. And I, it's, it's one of these things, like how I had to bring it back to the basics with yeah. um, what you were explaining, like, okay, how does this work again? And it's just, yeah. you know, just, you need reps to really drill it into your brain. Cause it's such a unique way of thinking and totally. of doing things. Totally. Now, how does, inf uh, sorry, we're, we're going long. So if you have to go just all good, no, all my good. last all question good. here is 11. does inflation, the massive kind of inflation that we're seeing right now. Yeah. Um, how does that impact all this stuff if, if it does impact it at all? Cause I know with like the infinite banking, big negative is if you're not putting that money to work, to work. you know, yeah. it's not an investment. Uh, yeah. it's not the best investment if you're just, you know, putting them up the, the money in the policy, never touching it. But if you're putting it to work, then everything you funnel through the policy, you know, it's, it's a boost, right? Totally. Totally. So how does this work with, with your thing? The, the people that just let the money sit. Mm-hmm. They, they do probably have a, a melting ice cube. Yeah. You know, the money is just like, uh, you're losing purchasing power by leaving it in there. Yeah. So what we're trying to do with our clients is encourage them to look at some alternative investment options where the the risk is hopefully largely mitigated. Like every investment's going to have some risk inherent. But we have, a, we have a partner in Rhode Island who, and I say partner, we just, we funnel business to them and, and trust these guys. They've built a really su successful business, but they're doing wrapped contracts. So they will buy a home on contract, sell it on contract, do a lease option in the middle. 
and they will pre-negotiate what the sale price is on the back end. So from time to time, they'll say, hey, we have someone who, who just needs to get bought out of a contract and we need whatever amount, $150,000. And so their deal is they pay 6% a year guaranteed monthly. So paid monthly, 6% for the year. But then you get 25% of whatever the back end sale price profit is. Mm. So it ends up being about a 14% return. And, and if it defaults at all, the paperwork that is signed at the beginning turns it into an 18% note. So you're going to make somewhere between 14 and 18% year over year with this deal. That's where our money's going mm. right now. We're putting it into those kinds of, those kinds of deals. Yeah. Um, and what it does is it just creates monthly income. And then we know we're going to get paydays on the back end. But in the meantime, we're replenishing the bucket. We're refilling that life insurance policy, right? Shredding it effectively so that we can keep doing it again and again and again. And what happens is the bucket just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, or you have more of them going. And every time a bucket fills up, you dump it. And then this bucket fills up and you dump it and you fill this up and you dump it. And they just keep filling, backfilling along the way. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Awesome, man. Dude, I'm checking your, your stuff out after this for sure. Thanks for the time, Anthony. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll get to meet face-to-face -face someday. Yeah, that would be awesome. All yeah. right. Thank you, man. Really hey, appreciate the time. Have a great day. Okay. Thanks, Adam. Take care, man. Bye-bye. So thank you to Adam Carroll for coming on the show and sharing that. It's a pretty cool concept. I haven't heard of it before, but I'll be checking it out more for sure. Uh, if you'd like, you can check Adam's stuff out more at theshredmethod.com and adamspeaks.com. Thanks for listening, everyone.